Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. I have a couple of extra minutes this morning, so let me reach way back into history to try to set us up for our message today, okay? How many of you uh, remember uh, March the 15th in the year 44 B.C.? Yeah, Sean remembers. What is it called? The Ides of March. Yeah. Julius Caesar was assassinated on that day. A little bit of history to catch up. The Roman government had enjoyed 500 years of what they called a republic. They had, you know, like the U.S., we've enjoyed 243 years of a republic type of government as well, whereby you elect people and they run the country, okay? Uh, so you have someone running the country for you. It's not necessarily a democracy. We don't vote on every detail. We vote on people and put people in office so that they can vote for us or against us or whatever they may be doing up there in Washington. Who knows? But at any rate, the Roman government was set up and for 500 years they had enjoyed, you know, um, what we might look at as maybe separate but equal powers of government. They had a Senate, you know, and they had a, a Caesar, you know, and, and basically, you know, uh, they had enjoyed that. And along came Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar, you know, he didn't necessarily want to follow the Republic. He kind of wanted to be God. In fact, after his death, he was declared to be a God. And so he changed things, and he kind of more became a dictator or a king. He became, you know, he became that first of the Caesars that we look back and realize that they had complete power. I mean, uh, you know, but this is after 500 years of a republic. And not everyone appreciated that Caesar had so much control and that anything he said was done and anything, you know, I mean, he could do anything. And so there were a couple of guys that kind of led this, this uh, you know, um, libertarian party these liberators is what they were called and uh one of them's name was brutus and one of them's name was cassius y'all remember them yeah et tu brute you know uh and and so one day on the 15th of march in 44 bc they went into where caesar was you know holding his court and they and some others with them you know some of the other government senate uh they stabbed him to death and killed Caesar. Well, there was a second in command. His name was Marcus Antonius, or you may know him as Mark Antony. Uh, my text is going to come out. I'm going to call him Mark Anthony this morning, not to be confused with the singer, okay? Um, anyway, I'll just call him Anthony because it rolls off better. Anthony was the second in command. He was about 40 years old or so, and he had power. He had great power. You know, he was a you know, member of the Senate, and he was, I mean, he was, he was second only to Caesar, and, and he and Caesar were good friends, and he mourned Caesar's death, of course, and, but he expected, Anthony really expected that he was going to be named Caesar, and he was really excited because he loved the reforms that Julius Caesar had, 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 had given, and so, so here, Anthony was all expecting. He said, let's read the will. Let's read the will. Let's read the will. He's expecting Julius Caesar to have named him as his successor. But when the will was read, much to Anthony's despair, 
he was not named as the heir. Instead, the will, in Caesar's will, he adopted his sister's grandson. You'll have to make that jump. Just a minute. I'll give you a second. His sister's child's child named Octavius. So in his will, a surprise to everyone, Julius Caesar had adopted Octavius. And so that made Octavius and he named him to be the next Caesar. And this made um, Anthony so upset and so mad. But what could he do? Here are Brutus and Cassius and, you know, they, 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 they are, you know, they, they, they've taken off and left and, and you know, they're, they're getting troops together and they're going to come and try to revive this republic and, and they're against Anthony and Octavius and so Anthony and Octavius, you know, they bind themselves together. Cleopatra was in town whenever um, Caesar was killed. She had been his girlfriend and she was pregnant with his child and she took off, got in her ships and went back to Alexandria. You know, and so, um, I mean, isn't it amazing that history still remembers all these people? This was an important moment. So here, uh, Anthony and Octavius. Octavius was only 19 years old, and he didn't know much. He ends up becoming Caesar Augustus, and he reigns for 40 years. You know, he ends up, you know, uh, he and Anthony split up later, but. He and Anthony are together. They're going to try to preserve all the reforms that Julius Caesar had made and make the Caesars like a god. And so here they declare Caesar, you know, after his death, Julius Caesar, to be a god. This strengthens their positions. And here, in the meantime, out in the east, here is and, and, uh, uh, Brutus and Octavius raising their own armies. They raised about 20,000 people to fight with them to save the republic well they met at a great battle in the year 42 bc this was the deciding factor in whether the roman empire would allow the caesars to be gods with complete authority and complete rule or whether they would go back to the republic form of government this battle between two great forces Octavius and Anthony, Brutus and Cassius. And where did they meet for this battle that turned the tide and changed the world forever? One of the greatest battles the Roman Empire ever fought. Where did they meet? Where did this battle take place? At the city of Philippi in Macedonia. Philippi was the place where these four armies met, two against two. And it ends up that Octavius and Anthony win the day. It's a lot more complicated than that. But Brutus and Cassius both commit suicide because they feel that all their hope is lost and they don't, they, they, they don't want to become servants and taken back. They had been senators. As a result, Philippi, this city in Macedonia, where the apostle Paul would arrive some 90 years later and establish a church. This particular city became what is known as a Roman colony. A Roman colony is different than what you might think colony. 
There were a lot of Roman cities. There were a lot of port cities. There were a lot of all kinds of, 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 of Roman you know, uh, 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 garrisons and outposts. But a colony meant that Rome, that, that, that the government attempted to duplicate the government in Rome in that colony. So that Philippi had its own senate and had its own governing forces. It was like a little Rome. That's why it was so important. That's why it was a real hinge pin. If you ever like to uh, look at history, let me encourage you to look at Cleopatra's role in that. In that she was asked to send her armies to help Anthony. Anthony asked her, send, send your ships because they have blocked the port of Neapolis where Paul would later land. And they're controlling it, and we can't resupply our armies. Please send help. Well, she started to send some ships, and then, you know, she turned them around. Weather-related, but turned them around. She didn't know how she fit into the equation anyway, and was uncertain of whether Anthony would ever like her again or not. But it ends up that later on, she and Anthony met at Ephesus, and they planned the downfall of Caesar Augustus, which failed, and Anthony was later killed. But at any rate, uh, this sets us up to go to the book of Philippians. You wondered how I connected, Sean? That's how I connected. The book of Philippians. Paul, 90 years later, in about the year 50, 51 AD, the apostle Paul arrives in Europe for the first time, and he goes to the city of Philippi. And there he preaches. You may remember in a recent Wednesday evening, we talked about the city of Philippi and how that Paul and Silas were put in jail. You can read it in Acts chapter 16. They were put in prison there. They were beaten. They were publicly humiliated. They were stripped naked in public and put in the, the, the dungeon. And then they were released. You know, you remember in their midnight hour, they sang praises and they prayed and an earthquake came and opened the prison doors and they were released and all the prisoners were set free. There the jailer got born again and all of his household and no doubt many of the prisoners and the church in Philippi began. Well, now it's near a decade later, about 10 years later, in about the year A.D. 61-62, the Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome. He had been in jail in Philippi. Now he was in prison in Rome. The Apostle Paul is about 57 years old. It's been a little over 30 years since Paul saw the light. Do you remember? If you've read the book of Acts... He was on the road to Damascus. He was headed to Damascus. He was going to, you know, put people who, who believed in Jesus. He was going to take the Jews who had believed in Jesus and, and, and bind them and arrest them and bring them back for judgment. And on his way to Damascus, just before he got to the city, a great light shined. It was Jesus Christ, and it, and it blinded him. And he heard a voice, and, 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 and the voice challenged him. And it ends up that he walks on into Damascus blind. And, and three days later, a man named Ananias, a believer in Jesus Christ came and laid his hands on Saul of Tarsus who would be the Apostle Paul and there not only was he born again and filled with the Holy Spirit his eyes received sight and he was baptized and he began to preach the gospel it had been about 30 to 31 years 30 years and six months by my calculation since that had happened now he's in prison he's preached the gospel everywhere it's been difficult for him He's been shipwrecked. 
He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's, he's you know, been resisted everywhere he went. But for 30 years, the apostle Paul has carried the gospel of Jesus Christ on his shoulders. He is not shunned to declare the gospel. In fact, his motto out of Romans 1.16 was, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Wow. To everyone, whether you're Gentile or Jew, the Apostle Paul's motto is, I am not ashamed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only way that people can be saved. It's the power. When people hear the gospel, they receive power to have a changed life. Salvation, sozo, to be made completely whole, spirit, soul, and body. It's, it's like an aorist infinitive, I believe, if I'm correct, Kim. You snap your fingers, it begins, and it never ends. Salvation is that way. It's like a spark that ignites an eternal flame on the inside of a human, and it causes us to be born again. Wow. Amazing. Here the Apostle Paul is declaring for 30 years that Jesus is the only way. In fact, he would tell those in Corinth, he would write to them and say that I have determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, we pick up this morning in the book of Philippians because I had evacuated and I had to drive home yesterday I did not get to study properly. So I'm going to walk through the book of Philippians here with you. And I'm going to do an extemporaneous commentary. What you're getting is you're getting off my heart and the top of my head. Okay? Let's hope Jesus gets in there somewhere. <laughs> because today my job is going to be to expound on the Word of God. And your job is going to be to catch one or two things that the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. Today, you're going to have to believe God for a word. It may be something I say. It may be something that sparks something in your life. But we are in Holy Ghost territory. Okay? So open your hearts and open your minds as we walk through the Word of God in the book of Philippians. Okay? And... Uh, uh, as I said, my job will be to provide some commentary and yours will be to catch one or two things the Holy Spirit wants to say to you today. This message, which I've not preached yet, <laughs> has already been designed by God to change your life forever. Wow, what a good deal, huh? What a good deal. Let's go on this venture together. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. Uh, we'll begin in Philippians, the first chapter. And we are going to read uh, verse 2 to begin with. Are you ready? Paul is writing now to the church in Philippi. Philippi that has this awesome history. Philippi that, that has had a church now for a decade. Philippi, where it's not popular, much the way it is in the United States today, it's not really popular there to share Jesus with friends and family or on the streets. You can get in trouble. You can get put in jail for it even. Okay? But yet here this church was, was birthed by God and filled with the power of God. And the Apostle Paul is writing. 
He's writing to the Christians there in the church, hoping that they will continue to grow. He's going to encourage them. He's been through a lot himself, and he's going to encourage them that no matter what you go through, you need to continue to grow in Christ, okay? Verse 2, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. You know, the Apostle Paul could have stopped right there because two things in life that we need, you and I, number one, we need the grace of God in our life. And when the Apostle Paul was praying for the people in Philippi, he told them that I always give thanks for you. Every time I pray, I thank God for you. And my prayer for you is that God would give you his grace, his unmerited favor, that he would give you ability, not the ability you deserve, not the ability that you work for, not the ability that you can purchase or go to school for, but rather the grace of God, that God would give you ability to far exceed your own gifting and also that he would give you peace. Two things that are needed in our world today, two things that might be needed in your world are things that you cannot provide for yourself, things that only Jesus Christ can do. We talked this morning in our first service in Sunday Circles about the fact that nothing is impossible with God. With God. You have to include that. We, we talked about how, you know, my grandchildren, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, everything is free when you are with granddaddy. Hello? Yeah, that's the same as it is with God. All things are possible when you are with God. All things are possible with God. And that's what we need. We need the grace of God in our lives. Today, you may be needing something that you cannot lay your hands on, something that perhaps that you cannot make happen, something that perhaps that you cannot buy, that you cannot you know, even imagine. Yet the grace of God has provided an inexhaustible wealth and supply of everything that we need. The Apostle Paul would later tell them in the fourth chapter that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Not according to your needs, but according to his riches. And not only that, but peace. Verse 6. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. The Apostle Paul was writing here again to the church in Philippi. This church knew hardship. This church knew the Roman government was coming down on them. They were just in the edge of what would become the greatest Christian persecution in the history of the world. They were just almost a year and a half to two years before Rome would burn and before Nero would declare Christians responsible for burning Rome. And then there would be open season on Christians and they would be persecuted. But this sentiment was already surfacing. It was already surfacing in Jerusalem. It was already sur surfacing in Ephesus. It was already surfacing throughout the Roman Empire. And here as they were facing difficulties, the Apostle Paul wanted them to know it had been so in his life and it would be so in theirs that he was certain that this God who had began a good work in them, that he would continue working in them. Today I can tell you in the year 2019 that I am certain certain. I am certain that God, who has begun a good work in you, he will continue to perform that work. He will continue to work in you until he is finally finished working in you on that day 
when Jesus Christ returns. That means that God is not going to stop working on you. He loves you, but, you know, he loves you too much to leave you like you are. He's going to continue. There's no way in the world that you can get God to stop working on you. And guess what? You can't get God to stop working on anybody else either. You know, your loved ones, your friends, your family, your neighbors, all those leaders around the world, God is going to continue working on them. We have a covenant with God, and God is working all things together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purposes. God will not forget our nation. God will not forget our world and our generation. God will not forget your circumstance, your situation, your job, your school. God will not leave you. He will never forsake you. Almighty God will continue to work in you and through you and for you that is something the apostle paul was writing so that they could continue to have confidence verse 10 for i want you to understand he says what really matters the apostle paul wanted the the christians in the church in philippi to understand those things that are really important what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of christ's return i want you to understand what really matters you know Right now, we might look at something, maybe an electricity bill, and we, you know, we might be consumed with the thought that you know, we're going to have a struggle paying this. It might be a relationship. It could be going through you know, uh, problems at work, a bankruptcy, you know, a divorce, you know, uh, family squabbles, whatever it may be in your life. Maybe the situation at, 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 at work looks like you're going to lose your job. Maybe you're headed to jail. Maybe you're, you know, you're in a prison of your own making. Perhaps it's drug addiction or, 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 or alcohol or, or, or maybe pornography. Whatever may be your struggle, you may be locked into a prison. But I want you to understand why. What really matters, what really matters is Jesus Christ. What really matters is that God is not going to leave you and forsake you. He has grace and he has peace. He can come to you wherever you are. Understand what really matters. Because God is able to help you wherever you are, to clean your life up, to help you in your situation, your circumstance. He is able to speak to those others behind the scenes so that you can end up living a life pleasing to him. That's his hope. The first part of verse 27 says, and above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? The Apostle Paul is writing again to the church in Philippi. The Apostle Paul has spent 30 years living the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's faced every hardship, and now he's writing to a church that is just about to undergo one of the most difficult seasons that Christians ever faced. And he's encouraging them to, to, to keep in mind that they are citizens of heaven, and they should live as citizens of heaven, and not just as citizens of the earth. Sometimes we look at our situation and we feel so locked in, but in reality we are not. For we are in this world, but we are not of this world. The things of this world should not matter more than the things of God. It looks like that this is our existence, and it may seem to us at many times like we're headed down a road that, that, that just ends, you know, at death. It does not. Eternity stretches far 
beyond all we can imagine or see or know. And we have been encouraged by the Apostle Paul that above all, that we would represent Jesus Christ, that we would represent the kingdom of heaven, that we would represent to others the fact that we are citizens, that we would live as citizens of heaven and not just as citizens of this earth. In the second chapter, in verse 3, the Apostle Paul adds a little bit so that we can understand what he might be talking about. He leads with, don't be selfish. Live as citizens of heaven. Listen, I want you to understand what really matters. Now, I'm praying for grace and peace to be with you, and I know that God's going to keep working on you, and, 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 and uh, you know, uh, and... You need to understand what really matters and, and you need to live as citizens of heaven. So listen, don't be selfish. My goodness, if we could conquer selfishness in the earth, I think almost everything else would be taken care of. Don't be selfish. Don't just look to yourself. Now the Apostle Paul is going, go, going to go on here and he's going to continue. And I encourage you to read the book of Philippians. He's going to continue to encourage people how not to be selfish. How to look at others and, and how to bless others. And how to make sure that you're not the most important person in your world. Why? Because you're a citizen of heaven. And God will give you the grace to do this. And you understand what really matters? What really matters is that we bring Christ into this world. That's what really matters. So don't be selfish and don't try to live a life trying to impress others. My goodness. Don't be selfish and don't be prideful. But be humble. Oh, man. You know, just any one of these verses we could stop and have a really good sermon on. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. If you don't get anything else out of here, then you ought to get a hold of those two. Now, do you know, in some parts of the African continent, bananas grow. And if monkeys get into that banana field, banana whatever it is, Farm, what is it called? Plantation. Plantation, thank you. They'll destroy it. You want to know why? Because they see a banana they want, and they go, oh, I want that one. <laughs> and then they see another banana they want, and they go, oh, I want that one. And then as they're going through, they say, oh, I see another banana I want. I want that one. And then they go, oh, there's another one I want. Oh, oh there's one I want. Oh, there's one I want. There's one. And they come out the other side of the plantation with two bananas. Having pulled hundreds. Okay. Now, let me encourage you. Be at least as smart as the monkey. Come out today with at least two bananas. Okay. Okay. Get at least two. Okay. Well, let's, let's continue. Don't be selfish. If, if you can't get any others, get that one. Hold on to that one. Okay. And if you really need it, you might need to get a hold of it and get up and leave because we're going to have some more so you won't drop it before we get out of here. Okay. <laughs> Write it down. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Verse 13. For God is working in you. You see this grace and this peace. God is working in you. This God that has begun a good work will continue that work until the day of Jesus. He's not going to give up on you. God is working in you. He is also giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Boy, I love that. 
that God is working in you. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi and he's saying, listen, I want you to know that you have somebody on your side that Almighty God is working in you. He's working in you and he's also giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I love submission to God. Do you know whenever I turn my way and my will over to him, Proverbs 16, 3 says, commit your ways to the Lord and so shall your thoughts be established. I love that. I love whenever I commit my way to the Lord, he causes my thoughts to be established. He starts dealing in my thought life when I commit my way. Whenever I want to please the Lord, whenever I say whatever you want, God, Lord, be it unto me according to your will, then God begins to work in me a desire to do his will. And he begins to give me the power to do his will. All we have to do is just submit. And he begins to work in us. And when he begins that good work, he'll continue that good work all the way up until Jesus comes. He'll give me grace. He'll give me peace. And I can live in a citizen of heaven and understand what really matters. Why? Because God is giving me desire and he's giving me power. I mean, I get to always get to do what I want to do whenever all I want to do is what God wants. If you want to always get to do something that makes you happy, if you want to always get to have your way, then just change your way to God's way. It'll make you happy. It will fulfill your desires. The Bible says when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. There's a tree of life that grows in the life of a Christian who is committed to Jesus Christ because of the grace and the peace of God that is ever present because God is working in us. Does that mean that everything turns out always, you know, that, it, that, that everything's always you know, going to be okay, that nothing's going to bother me? No. Philippians 3, verse 1. Whatever happens... <laughs> he kind of leaves the door open. Now, you're going to have grace and peace in your life. You're going to end up having the desire to please God, and God's going to work with you and give you the power to actually please him, and life is going to be good no matter what happens. But whatever happens, even the Apostle Paul was writing this from prison. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I love the fact that I always have something to be thankful for. Do you know when I, whenever I got that heaven and hell thing settled, my goodness, I have not had a bad day since. Bad things have happened, but I can always lay my head down on my pillow at night and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to my heart and my life and for knowing that I'm not stuck in this place. I'm not here. This is not going to be my last day my last word that's what the apostle Paul said from prison whatever happens my dear brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord verse 8 yes everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord <laughs> you know everything else is empty everything else is nothing everything else is worth. whatever happens listen you know good or bad it still does not rise to compare with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It's worthless when compared with the infinite value of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Chapter 4. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. <laughs> just, just nail it down. Just go ahead and decide 
The Apostle Paul would say it like this. I have run my race. I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight. I, have, I, I, I still have in my hands what I first believed. You know, I'm going to finish this race. You know, I am going to finish this race with joy. I am going to do it. Man, I am going to stay true to the Lord. I'm going to stay on track. You know, I mean, why? Sometimes people tell me, you know, things are so bad, I just want to quit. Quit what? What are you going to quit? Quit breathing? Then you live a life where you don't have to breathe and you'll be face to face with the eternal creator. I mean, I mean, life doesn't end because you have a bad day. Quit what? You're going to quit trusting God? You're going to quit believing God? You're going to quit trying? You're going to quit smiling? You're going to quit, you know, enjoying life? What is it? You're going to quit eating turkey? What are you going to quit? What could you quit that would make it better? Sin? Sadness, depression, worry, anxiety, doom, despair, and agony on me. Deep down depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. <laughs> Quit what? The Apostle Paul tried and true. After 30 years of carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was not a stupid man. He was a well-educated attorney. He was wise. He was proficient. But he knew his God. And he said, listen, Philippians, listen, church, listen, Christian, believer in Jesus Christ, born again, saved saint. Stay true to the Lord. Verse 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Wow, he is, he is capitalizing here on having this audience that's listening to him, reading this letter, you know. I mean, he's sending from prison and they're in church and they're, they're reading this hot off the press from the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine it? Can you? Well, of course you can because I'm doing the same thing for you. This is what they did that Sunday morning. They read this letter. You think they were encouraged? Of course they were. We are here. They carried the gospel of Jesus Christ just like the apostle Paul did. And he encouraged them always be full of joy. You know, happiness is something that can come and go depending on circumstances, situations. But joy is a fruit of the spirit. It's a wellspring on the inside of us. And if the devil can't get your joy, he can't hold you captive. And our rejoicing is in the Lord. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Just get into the Lord. I say it again, he said. It's worth repeating. Rejoice. Now he's talking to people that are about to undergo such persecution the world has never seen. Verse 5. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming. Wow. Verse 6, don't worry about anything. Boy, this is one of the best four-point sermons that I've ever heard or preached. 
Number one, don't worry about anything. Number two, pray about everything. Number three, tell God what you need. And number four, thank him for all he has done. Boy, there's a, there's a sermon that'll preach. That's what he's writing here to the church in Philippi. Verse 7, then you will experience God's peace. You know, many people say, well, if you'll just give me some peace, Lord, I'll be okay. No, listen, if you get okay, you'll have some peace. Get up here in the boat with me. Okay, come on now. Come on. You know, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and then thank him for all he has done. Then, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. My goodness, he will give you not only the desire, but the power he's working in you. When you say, here I am, this lump of clay, you can have it. Oh, come on. We are not smarter than God. What makes us think that we could create our own universe, or our own existence, or our own eternity? The best thing we could ever do is to yield our lives to him and to give him our minds and to decide that we are going to believe something. And we may as well believe this creator of the universe. Then you will experience God's peace. Verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Stop thinking about all the trash. Stop thinking about all the bad, all the impurity. Stop thinking about all the false. Stop thinking about all the dishonorable, about all the wrong. Stop thinking about all that's ugly in the world. Fix your thoughts on these things. And remember, verse 13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Verse 19, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Verse 20, and I conclude, now all glory to God, our Father, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.